<sighs> Hello. <laughs> there's, but there's something to celebrate. Uh, a familiar voice we haven't heard for a few days. Welcome back from vacation, Loren McNabb. Oh, well, thank you. I'm, you know, I'm not happy to be back on a normal day after a vacation, <laughs> quite frankly. Let alone today. Man, that was hard last night, hey? Like, I just, I don't know any other way to put it. I don't know if I expected to win the same way I did last year, but it feels worse for some reason. It does. And Greg joins us as well. We weren't even, we weren't sure if you'd even be awake until ten, the end of the show, Mackling, but here you are. Um, morning. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing good about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that was tough. It was difficult. It was difficult. And we're going to share some post-game audio through the morning. But one of the common themes that I was hearing from all of the, the players uh, that were interviewed, Greg, is that this one does feel tough, I think, because this it's not going to be the same team next year. Yeah, that was a common theme all week, Brett, as we were talking to players, just this idea that... I mean, it's the same way every year. Uh, these players, these teams come together and the roster is only the same one year. Guys move in and move out every single year. and But it somehow seemed to be a little bit more at the forefront of the discussion with uh, some of the veteran players in particular. And so that was with, dare I suggest, the idea that they were going to win a championship together and so, you know, it's way too early to start speculating on certain things. But uh, this team is going to look, I think, is going to look much, much different next year. You know, they had this rallying point after what happened in Regina last November. And this idea of let's come back and do this again, unfinished business, that sort of approach. That's that's going to be that's going to be tough for some guys that that might be you know, a little bit um, on the on the back nine of their career, so to speak, versus the front nine of their career and, and whether or not they want to go through this all again. I know this hurts a lot for so many Blue Bomber fans. It stings. But what an incredible football game. This is why you play the game. This is, It's not a video game. That's why the game is not played based on the statistics of the previous 22 or 23 weeks. That's why you have a championship game is to see if the team that is supposedly the best can come out and prove it. And the Montreal Alouettes took advantage of what the Winnipeg Blue Bombers gave them. Cody Vajara, here, I didn't want to get bogged down in stats. I'm going to give you one number and then I'm going to stop talking for a bit. Cody Fajardo (laughs) had 14 touchdown passes all season long. Last night he had three. Mm -hmm. You sound like my dad. (laughs) <laughs> he texted at the end of the game last night because it went down to the final seconds and said, wow, what a game. And I just gave him like a thumbs down <laughs> in my text comment. And he writes back, yeah, no, I get it, Loren, but what a game. And if you're looking at it from that perspective, man, like right to the finish, that was exciting and then devastating. But, you know, with, uh, what was it, 13 seconds left on the clock, the Montreal Alouettes did what they needed to do. And, and I guess that's that. It's just it really does there are worse ways there are worse ways to lose a championship ask a saskatchewan rough riders fan about the last time the montreal alouettes won the Grey cup in calgary in 2010 
when they thought a missed field goal by Montreal had sealed the deal and that they would have, I guess it would have been at that point, their fourth Grey Cup in their history, only to see a penalty flag on the play for too many men on the field. And then Montreal gets five yards on the penalty, goes out, kicks the game-winning field goal. And then just on Tim Hortons field just two years ago, when the Hamilton player knelt down in the end zone to hand Winnipeg what uh, turned out to be the, the tying point that eventually led to an overtime victory for the Blue, Blue Bombers. So these things, but you know, sometimes they go as scripted. Uh, yesterday's really did not, for the most part, in particular that vaunted Blue Bomber defense and giving up what they gave up in that last few minutes. It's just... Uh, uh, sickening is the word. Yeah, it it it, it is. It like I, I, bombers get the ball back, and we're gonna go through some of the sounds of the game in our next segment here, and just sort of bring you back through those final three minutes. But what was going through my head is okay, the bombers get the got the ball back. They're in a good position, and already I'm starting to think. Oh, I wonder what day the parade is going to be. And, and, and I, as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, don't get ahead of yourself, Brett. But right away, I'm having visions of of uh, seeing the people at the airport to welcome the bombers back. And when's the parade going to be? And will there be a social? And will there be a, you know, the, the big family day that they did at the convention center a couple of years ago? And uh, and then some, the, just as quickly as, as all that went through my head, Loren Montreal gets the ball back. I'm like, oh, my gosh. What is happening here? I know. I know. I wasn't really even paying attention in the last few minutes. Like I was, but we had, we were over at friends. We had put on a great spread and great cup party. And so you're talking and you're feeling not confident. You just, I just felt good. And then I looked up and I thought, uh oh. So yeah, we'll get more into that in a bit. We've got some uh, clips we're going to play from some of the players too with their thoughts, Greg, uh, on how they were feeling and some messages to the fans post game. And let us know how you're feeling about that. We've got one listener in saying that uh, Montreal looked how we looked in 2019. And so there, that's that, you know, Mutt Blue had a good season, but Grant says Montreal looked as powerful as the Blue Bombers did in 2019. And they proved it last night. So more of blah coming up. <laughs> It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg's broadcasting in Hamilton post-Grey Cup. And we just want to take you back through what... I mean, it was such a wild and wacky game in those final three minutes. Boy, oh boy. Uh, listen, so on the TSN broadcast last night with Dustin Nielsen and Marshall Ferguson, here we are, just over three minutes left. Bombers get the ball back after Montreal punted the ball out of bounds and took a penalty for it. So great field position here for the Bombers to possibly seal this one away and that incomplete pass to see could end up being the difference in this ball game. Does the Alouettes defense have another big play in them here? And Greg that punt they like they were trying to keep the basically keep the ball away from Janarian Grant right? 100% they were and uh, you know <laughs> Uh, uh, Joseph Zima, uh, the Australian punter, first time in that CFL history, by the way, two Australian punters uh, punting in the game. Uh, Zima struggled mightily last night. He had one punt, I think, that was 61 yards. Other than that, that was his second punt out of bounds. And really, the Bombers get one first down there, and that's the game. That's and it. they ended up, yeah, that was over. And ultimately, they had to give up the ball. And... Well, we know what Montreal did with it after that. Well, that's where we are. Things are looking good. Bombers are at the 47-yard line. We're thinking, all right, they can move the ball. They move the ball up a couple yards. 
Three-minute warning happens. And then on second down. As the Alouettes have put up an excellent fight here against the Bombers, do they have one punch left in them? Well, and that's that's the whole thing, right? The season has come down to, at every point, Montreal has been doubted, told, nope, you're not good enough. You don't have an opportunity. You're not going to get the job done. They've answered the bell every single time this season, especially in this seven-game winning streak. If they're going to get their eighth in a championship, they're going to have to do something sensational against Zach Kolaros and the Bombers to dethrone them. Big down here, second and eight with two and a half minutes of play. Kolaros wants to throw. Now he's under pressure. Not going to get away. Alouette's defense has sacked him. And Montreal will get the ball back. Darnell Sankey causing issues for that offensive line. I don't know what you felt in that moment, Loren, but for me it was a, a basically a grenade of panic went off inside me. Oh, it, you know, I, I can't remember who was the player in the locker room last night, but some of them, one of them commented about the fact that when, you know, those dying seconds, it's like you're watching something bad happen, like a car crash, and you think, oh no, like, and I get it. A crash is far more traumatizing in the real life event, but it's in that slow mo thing where you go, oh no, like what's coming next is not good. And it wasn't. So the Owls, they get the ball back, they move the ball downfield. And with just seconds left in the game, this. Clock ticking down, just over 20 seconds to go. Fajardo takes the snap cleanly. Bombers bring pressure. Fajardo's going to throw it down to where the end zone. He's got it. Oh my goodness. That's what I felt well in that said, moment, Greg. <laughs> well said, Brett. That's, you know, what What do you say? Uh, the Blue Bombers had Montreal on that same drive. Uh, first down, they sacked uh, Fajardo for a nine-yard loss. So it's second and 19. Cody hadn't really run the ball very much at all to that point in the game. And he takes off for a 14-yard scramble for a first down. It's like, are you kidding me? And then it's third and five, and just a gutsy, you got a hand to Jason Moss and the Montreal Alouettes, a gutsy long play on third and five. Cat, I don't know if they caught the Bombers napping or what, but uh, really a surprise play. And Tyson Philpot with that huge cat, catch. His dad, Corey Philpot, played in the Canadian Football League for years, including a stint with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. I mean, they're going to have some incredible stories on the other side and in Montreal. And I actually went in the Montreal dressing room last night for about 10 minutes and then I had to get out of there. <laughs> it's Mackling McGarry and McNabb. Mackling is taking a seat on this one, I think, because he's going to about to talk to Global News Morning from Hamilton on Grey Cup stuff. But if you're in the same mood we are, you're not in a great mood right now, and you might need to pick me up. I mean, look, there's lots to celebrate. The Jets won Friday and Saturday. Jets are rolling. Uh, you can still go golfing today on November 20th. November 20th, <laughs> there are golf courses. Come that on, are open. really? Southside is going to be open today, and Shooters is going to be open today. And because they, they reopened last week when the weather warmed up. And uh, so if you want to get out there and hack around for a little bit, they're open. So there's lots to be happy about. And we want to ask you if you're down or you're not, you're just feeling like, what's your tried and true pick-me-up? 
204-780-6868 for a chance to win a pair of tickets to the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra's production of Frozen in Concert. They're playing the movie Frozen, and they're going to do the music live at the Centennial Concert Hall this weekend. So, Loren, why don't we start with you? What's your pick-me-up? Well, some of them are super simple and a little bit cheesy, like a good hug makes a big difference. You know, I, I found sometimes, you know, like, for example, today I'm working from home just because it was a late night and I just got home from vacation and all sorts of things going on. And you sort of you're down in the dumps in the basement and it's gloomy down here. And if I run upstairs for a quick hug, that makes a big difference. Um, a phone call with a friend or just a walk. Like, uh, I, I, I don't want to steal Forte's, but I know he's a huge fan of walking. and I have no idea yeah. if that's what you were going to say, Jeff. But it's so true. If you even just do like a little skip around the block. And to get that fresh air going, and you usually always see something that either puts a smile on your face or at least gets you fired up, like a pothole or like, you know, <laughs> dog droppings that haven't been picked up or a cute dog. Like it all, it all can make a difference, I think. Yeah, no, the, the movement is energy is, is a real thing that should not be forgotten. And on that subject, I, I always get to pick me up whenever you send uh, videos of your dog. <laughs> Just yeah, even yesterday, picking up your dog, oh, uh, getting back from vacation. That was picking up Moose from his first ever kennel experience, you know, nine days in the kennel. We didn't know how that was going to go for him. Um, they did a great job. And uh, he was insane for like 20 <laughs> minutes. We had to stop. We had to pull over and let him out and do what, you know, do the zoomies, we call them, where he just has to rip around to get out some energy. And he tackles us all. And he got back in. And we had He got in the car. Then he had to get back out again. We're like, go for it, buddy. Do your rip. This is you got to get your energy out, but yeah, that was fun. You're you're stealing mine. I was gonna say I go to my oh! I go to my parents' place and I, I like to see the family dog Bailey. She's uh, she's such a little trooper, you know. You like to razzle her up a little bit and then play with her, <laughs> and then when she calms down, she just likes to have her butt scratched. So you got to scratch your butt. <laughs> it's just I don't know. It just makes me feel so good. It just it, it just brings like sunshine to my life every time I see her. Yeah, animals. Animals can be that instant pick-me-up. Sarah McCarthy, what about you? Well, mine has to do with coming off my extended little weekend, just listening to music. If you can't go to a concert, just listen. (laughs) No T-Swift, but uh, no concert, that is. But I saw Kiss and the Jonas Brothers, two amazing, very different concerts for very different vibes, but I'm definitely listening to some Kiss and some Jonas Brothers this morning to lift up the spirits and relive those two great weeknights. You had quite the week, Kiss. It was a busy, busy week. And then you went to the third and bird Christmas (laughs) market. I'm very tired. <laughs> and broke. I yeah, say, I was saying <laughs> I, I was saying my neck hurts, I think, from the kiss concert, the head banging, and then my voice and my ears hurt more from the Jonas Brothers. Yeah. I, and uh, I was at Third and Bird on Saturday. I was mm. there for thirty five minutes and had to flee the building because I'd parted ways with, with like four hundred dollars. Uh, but I got your Christmas gift, Loren and Greg. So that, oh. yeah, that was the the, the main goal was to fight. I, uh, I think you get charged up by that kind of stuff. Like you're a person who buys gifts and I think feels good when you're doing it. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. If I can like, find something that go where it says, yep, that's it. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. Feel pretty Did you one. go with money or, or like a bank card or just a set amount of cash? I went with my debit card. Oh, let's see. I, that's your, that's just like when you go to Vegas, you got to just go in with a set amount of cash and get out. <laughs> yeah, no, they, they, there was a point where I was going to do one more roll, rip around and I thought, nope, just the, the exit is right here. Get out. Uh, Tyson, what about you? Tyson in for Cam this morning. Well, for me, it's the, there's, no, there's nothing more therapeutic than an empty basketball court. And you can just put up shots and you're the only one in the gym and you can hear all the sounds like the, there's nothing better than hearing just a swish. 
I mean, most of the time I kind of, I would brick my shots. So it's a lot of clanking off the rim, (laughs) but, but just, I would always, whatever, like, especially in high school, just whenever you're kind of feeling down, you'd fail a test or something. It was just like, I'm going to go put up some shots and then I love it. That's like one of, that's one of my go-tos for for pick me up. Mm-hmm. That is a good one, and you're. I, I now that I, now that you mention it, I miss shooting around. I used to love playing basketball. I so, sucked at it, but uh, I liked it. And yeah, when you, if you can get a hoop and on a hardwood floor and get that sort of echoing, yeah, that'll that'll fix your problems right away. It's one of the one of the biggest things I miss about high school and university. It's just you had the you had a basketball court there, and I, you mean. I can't have a basketball court here in Winnipeg outside because for obvious <laughs> reasons. So something that I miss for sure. Well, sports in general too help you blow off steam. Like, and, and yeah. I think especially for kids, Loren, it's uh, it's such an can be a really important part of their life just to help them with whatever stress they might be dealing with. Just well, go play but- sports. We were talking about mental health in, in our last segment with uh, Dr. Raymond and just the idea of, you know, how we have to help each other, but also including, you know, when you go out and you say, like, let's go do this. Let's go play. Let's get going. The same way we talked about the dog needing to rip around for energy. You know, your kids need to do that. And you do, too. Like, we all just circle back to kind of the same things, that idea of movement and, and, and getting out there. I, and why can't we have a basketball court? Let's talk to the powers that be, Tyson. Let's, yeah, right, like, on like, where, right on the like, roof. Like, where can we put one? I don't know if that's a good idea. Balls bouncing <laughs> off to a one portage onto the ground below. They could theoretically, there could be a, a hoop in our building, a two one portage. They with the way that they redid the lobby, it's wide yes. open down there. It's possible. It is. Although they put one. What would we do about the music though? The more like that puts me in a good mood when I walk in at four fifteen and they they got the tunes just mm-hmm. cranked in that lobby. <laughs> It's like a dance party. <laughs> Every day I come in, I say to Brett, did you catch this morning's tune? My God, I needed like a shot. <laughs> it's like a that. nightclub down there sometimes. <laughs> so 204-780-6868, your tried and true pick-me-ups. When you're feeling down or feeling blah, as many of us surely will be today after the Winnipeg Blue Bombers lost in the Grey Cup last night, what's your pick-me-up? It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Greg is in Hamilton. We are in the process of updating our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. And the question is going to be, do you wish the Great Cup was on Saturday instead of Sunday, like they did the West and East Finals on the Saturday? Because uh, I don't know uh, about you two, but I sure did not want to get up today. Um. Yeah, today was a rough one. But Greg, you were up till what, like one o'clock, harvesting audio. Yeah, I think it was one o'clock by the time we got back to the hotel, maybe one o five. And uh, yeah, it was it was a long day yesterday. Absolute privilege and honor to be here. You know, coming in, it's going to be four or five days of uh, nothing but uh, work, but not expecting to be waking up uh, feeling the way I was feeling. Uh, lots of tossing and turning as well when you sort of reliving the game in the, in, in your head. So, yeah, it, it's a rough day for a lot of folks today. I know that. 
And, you know, we actually want to share some of the, the post-game audio with you here. I mean, there's so much to go through. We just want to give you a sample. Of course, you can hear more of it in the audio vault at cjob.com. But like Brady Oliveira, for example, a Winnipeg running back, and he, uh, he, the, we, he was asked about the, you know, the fact that he won a CFL award, and he's basically like, I don't care. I didn't care about those awards. I mean, I, I said it if I walked away with two awards, one award, zero awards. I mean, this is what it's all about you know you you go through so much throughout the year so much sacrifice so much hard work and you want to win these games you know you want to win it for the guy next to you and your coaches that put in countless hours for game planning and I mean it feels like it's all a waste you know my my season that I had this year I mean it's a waste I didn't didn't accomplish what I wanted to accomplish I didn't have any any individual goals set I mean I want to Help my team, help my city win championship, and we didn't get it done. That oh. hurts. Oh, that hard. That's hard to hear because you think of all he did do, and when he looks mm-hmm. back on the season, how good it would have felt to be able to look back and say, "Look what I did to help the team," and he d- didn't do it in his words. And then on the flip side, Greg, when I hear him comment like that, I'm filled with a lot of pride for someone who has the recognition that the, there is no I in team, as cheesy as that sounds, and that's how he feels, right? That the accomplishments were for the team and not for him, and he didn't go in with individual goals. The goal was for the team to win. Oh, that breaks my heart. All week it was about we're playing for our brothers, for our teammates. Like to a to a player, that was the commentary. And, you know, we've had a sense for a long time that this is a together team, a, a solid group, they, you know, a family. And, and this group, the core of it has matured together and grown together, and Brady's sort of, you know, taken over the, the mantle and, and from from Andrew Harris on so many fronts, but I got to tell you, Brady sat down, prepared to speak to the media. We were gathered around, and and, and then he kind of asked us to give him some time. So those are the comments of someone fresh off one of the most devastating things professionally that's ever happened. To think about you at work on your worst day, and somebody coming up to you as you're walking out of the office, or maybe you're still at your desk. And so, so what happened today? Why didn't you get the job done? So, you know, some of these responses you're going to hear are extremely emotional because these these gentlemen haven't even had the chance to, to necessarily process everything that went down, you know, in the previous four hours. And it's the culmination of not just months of work, but years of work in some cases. And Zach Caleros... Uh, I mean, every single one of them obviously was super emotional. Just want to give you a sample of what he had to say last night. You know, you play, you play to win the game, play to win the last one. Then we came up short. Um, you know, Montreal was a few plays better than us. Um, it was really sad. Because uh, there's just a lot of good guys in the locker room. And, you know, guys that might not be able to play again. And you want to win for them. And the guys that could be out there... And, And yeah, this is a lot of good people. You just don't want the people down. It's just, it's, it's terrible. So much emotion, Loren. You made a great point, Greg, about the idea that I get this is what they're paid to do, right? Is to go out to play, to pay, to win. And then to have somebody ask them afterward how they feel. That, you know, that is part and parcel of, of the role that they're in. But then to think about on your bad day to have to have someone immediately ask you what went wrong. And then more than that, immediately potentially not point out 
the errors or the flaws, right? And so that that's supremely challenging. I I keep trying to get back to the the perspective here is that I can't even believe we had four years out of five where we got to cheer on our team. Like that's a pretty incredible thing. That's pretty incredible. This is unusual what we've been through here. It's not a usual thing, and that that's also part of the the messages here is, you know, if you're a sports fan, enjoy your team's success because uh, it can can be fleeting. These This is a generational team regardless. You know, we can't use the dynasty word, but we can use the, the terminology generational. And you can weigh in at 204-780-6868. We'll have some more post-game audio to share with you through the morning, including in sports with Tyson Ruicki and for Cam Poitras. And just, yeah, but the, I, I, to echo your sentiments, Loren, on being grateful, like it has been a wild and fun ride over the last five years now watching this <laughs> football team. Yeah. Like, I think that's part of the problem. We got addicted to the, the good. Yeah. And, and now we're like, What? Like last year was supposed to be a blip, right? So. Yeah, yeah. Like last year, I think they, they, we went in with this feeling like they, the bombers would be coronated, and uh, this year, I don't know. I felt uh, I, I didn't go in this year as I thought it could go either way, but it it just you, as we got to the final three minutes, I thought here we go. This is oh. it's, they're going to do it, and well, it didn't go their way. Hey, but. Brett, this time last year with R- Greg and. Regina, I think I, at this point I was just lying on the floor in the studio. <laughs> so I have felt worse. <laughs> I have felt worse. What are you doing down there? I'm sad, Brett. Just sad on this I'm dirty sad. carpet. <laughs> It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling's broadcasting in Hamilton post-Grey Cup. And post-Grey Cup, you might be feeling a little down today, a little in disbelief. Bombers lost, and it sucks. And we, you know, not. I don't. I don't mean that from a critical perspective. You know, we just we we care about yeah. the team. We care about everybody. Everybody who works so hard in that organization. And uh, it's just, you know, I I was like sad for the team, and now I'm just sad in general. They, they, <laughs> I was hoping to celebrate, and instead we're lamenting the loss, and we're asking you, what is your tried and true pick me up, and what does Vic have to say, Loren? Well, before we read Vix, I'm just going to read Jody because Jody Lee in Stonewall got mean, but it just ties into Vix, okay? Jody, I think, is joking mostly. <laughs> I'm a rider fan living in Manitoba. I've survived the 13 man devastation. Buck up, you guys. Learn how to lose. Stop moping. Be grateful. You're a bunch of sad sacks, spoiled with always winning. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then that made me laugh because just before that, Vic had texted to say his tried and true pick me up. I think about how bad it would be if I was the Saskatchewan Rough Riders fan. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought I'd read those out back to back. Yeah, so you guys give me a hard time. It all comes back to <laughs> the Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan Manitoba rivalry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jody Lee's just sad that uh, the Riders stink and can't even get to the game. Uh, Kristen says animals are both the cause. And the cure to my woes. At work, I occasionally see some awfully sad situations, but seeing them feel better and celebrating every milestone helps. When I get home exhausted, my own personal critters work their magic, and there is nothing more joy-inspiring than watching my Kane Corso hamming up in an agility class. She is the comic relief that everyone needs in their life. Yeah, animals will do it, Loren. I, listen, I... 
three years ago, I would have said boo to all of this. And then yesterday I was sending Brett multiple moose videos. So, you know, what, who am I to, to knock anything in out? And now, actually, as a pick-me-up, I think we've all talked about this, Greg. I, we go to dog and animal videos. You know, even if it's the squirrel eating the corn on the cob or the porcupine eating the cabbage or whatever that was. Because it's one thing you can look at and, and there's zero judgment, just good times in that. I should show you guys my Instagram a chat with Jackie. It's all videos of dogs, cats, and babies. That's all it is now. <laughs> well, and even you got a cat after years of, of being a non-cat person. Yeah, I sure did. And uh, oh, I, mean, I, I miss my kids. It was my wedding anniversary yesterday. So happy anniversary, Jackie. 18 years spending it apart again. Uh, but I miss, I'm, I miss my kids more. That, that, was, that was tough. That was <laughs> tough not to watch a game with them last night. time we've got our monday jets report with kelly moore coming up in four minutes time but right now for the last two weeks the contest has been parks and rec five thousand dollar trip for two to jasper alberta courtesy of our friends at via rail fairmont jasper park lodge and sundog tour co we've been taking qualifiers every day right here on the start on connecting winnipeg with hal anderson on the Jim Toast Show, on the news with Rich and Julie, and on Winnipeg Weekends with Kevin Bergen. And now, Loren, it is time to name our winner. Of a pretty sweet prize, because this gets a scenic Via Rail journey to Ass Jasper, Alberta. So a Via Rail train trip to Jasper. Three-night retreat at the renowned Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. And then, of course, the adventure continues. You get a choice of two thrilling outdoor experiences courtesy of Sundog Tour Company, including a wildlife tour, a canyon hike, and an ice walk, or a paint a pyramid adventure bread. So we got a few people on the line here. Brandy Pantel. Good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Pretty good. So you, uh, so you want to go to Jasper, do you? That would be amazing. Well, guess what, Brandy? You have what? won Parks and Rec. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. <laughs> wow, thank you so much. Congratulations. Have you ever been on a train trip, Brandy? You know, not in Canada. Not in Canada, and it's on my bucket list. Not in Canada? Where? Uh, my mom and I were fortunate to go to Switzerland last year. Oh wow! And and ride the train um, in in Switzerland up to Lauterbrunn, and it was beautiful. But there's nothing quite like Canada and, and getting to see our our own country from a different venue. No kidding. Have you ever been to Jasper before? I have. I love the mountains. I'm so excited, you guys. <laughs> okay, well, the who are you taking? Have you already have you thought this through? Like, if I win, I will take fill in the blank. Oh gosh, no! The, I'm going to leave my my special people open to. Um, I, I'm available for bribes. <laughs> <laughs> Highest bidder it is. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Well, Brandy, congratulations! Thank you for participating, for playing, and enjoy this awesome five thousand dollar trip for two to Jasper, Alberta. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Brandy Pentel, the winner of Parks and Rec, and our promo team will be in touch, Brandy, with more information. But uh, pretty cool that 
She's gotten to try a rail trip in uh, an area of the world you're familiar with, and that would be Switzerland. Oh, I, and that's such beautiful country. I get what she's saying. There's nothing like being in your home country and enjoying what's around you. But, man, I feel like I will have to bring her back on when she does this trip and do a comparison of the mountain train trip. Switzerland, the Swiss Alps versus the Rockies. That'll be the oh. competition. When she gets back. <laughs> okay, Brandy, we'll be in touch to get more information from you on that. In the meantime, so once again, Brandy Pentel wins Parks and Rec. It's been an honor, bro, and like, I just have so much respect and love for these guys. It's just hard to, to walk away with a loss right now, man. Like, I really just envisioned and had these moments of visions, bro, of just celebrating with this team. And, like, this felt like destiny, and that's what's hard for me, man. Like, it really felt like destiny to win this with this team. Like, everything felt like it was meant to be with this team, bro. Just who we had, the guys we had, and the uh, feeling we had, bro. Like, I just kept believing till that last kickoff return, man. Like... It just really has hit me that we lost, bro. That is Drew Wolitarski, receiver with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, following last night's 28-24 loss to the Montreal Alouettes in the Grey Cup. And before we bring on our guest here, um, Greg, you got to spend some time with the, some of the players after the post game. You know, just we just we can hear it. The the just the the devastation all of these guys feel. But what was it like to to be in the room with them in Hamilton? Well. Oh, Brett, I've gotten to know uh, some of these guys on a little bit of a different level, and, and Drew, right at the top of that list. We we went up north earlier this year. We spent an entire day together in a very unique sense, trying to, you know, I watched Drew to, uh, interact with young people, uh, trying to inspire them in, uh, in, with regard to sport and education. And Drew is, you know, we've had him on Breakfast with the Bombers. He's just one of the really good guys. He's, he's thoughtful, purposeful. He's spiritual. I was lucky enough on Friday afternoon, he was in a stretching routine following practice. And he, he, you know, we our eyes met, and I said, "Am I interrupting anything here, Drew?" Nah, bro. No, bro. Sit down. So I'm sitting down on the field, having a conversation with Drew Walatarski about how he's feeling about the game. And so I tell you all that to let you know that when you're in the dressing room last night and your eyes meet guys that you've interviewed eight, nine, ten, twelve times over the years, they know that you want to ask them a question. But you feel horrible doing it, but that's your job. That's why I came All right. halfway across the country. Let's cut to, off. Uh, yeah. Sorry about it. Sorry, Greg. We're having some major issues with your connection, so we'll just have to press pause on Greg. And in the meantime, uh, Loren, let's discuss. Who do we have with us now? Hopefully our connection's a bit better here. We want to say hello to the co-host of Jets at Noon, Jim Toth. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Loren. Welcome back. Hello, Brett. I don't want to put words into Greg's mouth, but I think what you know the sentiment is is that you you connect with these players because they're so much part of the community, and so when they hurt, you can you can feel that hurt with them. So there's that sadness this morning for the Bombers, but there's also an analysis of the game that's going to go on. So what's your take as you look back on on that Grey Cup loss last night for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers losing to the Montreal Alouettes? Well, yeah, I, I totally understand that, and and that's kind of how I felt. Like the the game ended, and I just felt for you know Mike O'Shea and Zach Claros and and um, Nick Dembski. I've covered almost since well since high school and his Bison career, and 
Um, you know, to what Drew Lotarski was talking about is they did everything right to regain the throne. And I think that most Bomber fans are, are feeling worse this year than last year simply because, you know, that happens. You can lose a one-point game and, and you're not going to win three, four, five championships in a row. But this year felt like the year that, okay, we're going to atone for that. And, and you got all the way to this point and then it didn't happen. So there are those emotions for the fans, true. But I have to say, like when I looked at it after about 10 minutes after the game, I, I once again was disappointed in Zach Claros and, and, I, and some of the bigger names on this team. I thought the O-line was, was going to be in tough and, and they're going to have to pull out a big game against the Salouettes defensive line. And, and I thought they could have been a little bit better. Um, and, and then, you know, Cody Fujardo outdueled Zach Claros. And Zach Claros has many MOPs on his on his resume. I'm not trying to pinpoint it solely on Zach because it's a team game, and I thought a lot of people other could have stepped up. But he had the same stat line as he did last year. He had an interception, he had no touchdowns, and he had under 200 yards. This year he had just over 200 yards, no touchdown, and an interception. And that interception in the end zone when they were up 17-7, to I think it was, or 17-10, would have made a huge difference. Um, that interception really cost them because that then puts your, your foot on the throat of the Montreal Alouettes. And what happened to me in the second half was credit to Montreal. They came out, they needed to get a score right away. They needed to score before Winnipeg did, then they did. And as you could see, the momentum just slowly shifted. So to me, it, 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 I want to, again, give full credit to Montreal. I, last year, I thought the Bombers lost the game by having really underperformed on a number of, of facets. This year, there was a little bit of that too, but I think Montreal came to play, and I think Montreal deserves a lot of credit and, and because it was a great game, and, and when you look at the Bombers' loss, the, the team that played the best won the game. Yeah, just before the game, listening to some of the comments from a couple of Montreal Alouettes players, I just got a feeling like this team this team is, means business and the Bombers are going to be in tough. I'm curious to know, Jim, what do you think would have happened had the Argonauts been Winnipeg's opponent and the then i.e. the rematch from last year with the team that took the the throne from the bombers yeah well i don't know because chad kelly's a different animal right like chad kelly's not a rookie but this is his first year as a starter and i know he's the mop but as we saw in the playoff game that that's what happens to young players when they start pressing and they start pushing so I just think Montreal is the perfect name. Like you always hear this in sports, just get into the playoffs, just make the playoffs. And quite often it's a team that goes in the hottest and, and Montreal has beaten Hamilton, Toronto, and now the Winnipeg blue bombers three weeks in a row. They came in on a roll and they kept rolling. I'm not saying that was the reason because the bombers lost. I'm saying it's the reason Montreal won. They put it all together at the right time of the year. They never beat a team that, that had a winning record during the regular season um, in BC, Winnipeg, or Toronto. But at the end of the year, they started playing well. They started figuring some things out, and they had momentum. And, and that happens more often than not in sports. When there's an upset in sports, people go, well, what happened? Well, it's usually the team that, you know, they might not have won the championship, but the team that upsets a couple teams is the one that gets hot at the, heart, at the right time. The Florida Panthers had to win on the last week of the regular season to get into the Stanley Cup playoffs last year, and they went all the way to the final. I think that's what Montreal did. They started getting So I don't really know, Brett. I mean, that's hard to say with, with the Toronto Argos because they're a dynamic team, and if they were to pull that out against Montreal, how they would be rolling. But at the end of the day, it, it, it's really tough. It, it's tough for the players because, as you heard Drew Ortarski say, they did everything right, and, and it just – 
it's a hard pill to swallow for any athlete or any team when you just don't play your best in the, in the most important game of the year. And I think for two years in a row, as great as the Bombers have been, that's two great cups in a year in a row. They haven't played their best football. And I want to credit Montreal because throughout the entire season last night and the week before against Toronto is their two best games of the year at the right time. So we've been talking about all the game itself, but of course, with the Grey Cup as a party, Jim, and also across the country, people were having you know, Grey Cup parties in their home or partying in Hamilton. And we've been asking the question at cjob.com, question of the day brought to you by Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Should the Grey Cup game be held on Saturday instead of Sunday? What, what say you? Well, I, I wonder about that, honestly, because, you know, they've moved the Banjo Bowl, Labor Day Class, some other big games. The playoff games last week, they moved to Saturday, and I kind of agree with it. I, I think it's it's a good idea. But the Great Cup is something different to me. So there's a lot of things going on in everybody's life on a Sunday. If there's anything I would do with it, is I would move it up a little bit. I would make it maybe late earlier in the afternoon and, and allow people, you know, to go out, have their celebrations, have their parties, maybe even enjoy a win or, or uh, a victory after the game and then still get to bed at a, at a decent time. So I, I really, as much as I love the fact that they move some some playoff games and some important games like the Banjo Bowl to a Saturday to allow more fans to, to partake and do stuff before and after, I really do like the championship games on Sunday. I think it's the final of the year. I would maybe have it start at 3 in the afternoon as opposed to 5 our time or, or 4 Eastern or something like that and allow people to maybe start a little earlier. And But I, I love the focus of it on a Sunday compared to some of the other playoff games and switching to hockey Jim before we let you roll the Jets are rolling yeah you know Brett when you say that it, it, they really are and it's not just because of the record at 10-5-2 it, it's because of the way they're playing and and this is a team that we've talked throughout the season and training camp that isn't as skilled as it once was but they're deep and and this is what I like about watching this team is is they're finding different ways to win they probably shouldn't have won that game on Friday against Buffalo but they did um, and then they faced the, the, the team Arizona on Saturday and, and really, you know, only allowed 18 shots on net after playing back-to-back games. Good teams find ways to win in different fashions and are going to have to play some bad games and pull out points. The Jets did that on the weekend. So it'll be a tough test going into Tampa Bay, Florida, and then Nashville on the road trip. But with two practice days today and a, a little lull in the schedule, I really like their chances to, to finish the month of November, um, uh, you know, even farther above 500. They're playing really good hockey right now. And, and even when they aren't, they're still getting points. It's a fun team to watch, and, and there's a lot of optimism around it. Jim Toth is co-host of Jets at Noon and is the host of The Jim Toth Show, one to three weekdays on 680 CJOB. Jim, thank you for your insight. Always appreciate it, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And, and speaking of Grey Cup parties, I heard Loren went all the way to Mexico to party. That's awesome. That's what you do when it's football, baby. You gotta she bring heard the they g- were in the Grey Cup. She's like, I'm going to Mexico. You we're going to party. You got to bring the game to the people. Doesn't hurt to have an all-inclusive nearby. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, Jim Toth joining us live on the start. And by the way, don't forget, there's a coach's show tonight. Derek Taylor going to race back to the studio to talk to Mike O'Shea as uh, we conclude the season. And uh, also on the Mexico note, Loren, it's funny, I was texting a friend asking, hey, where did you end up going to watch the Grey Cup? Because we got together last year to watch it, and I never heard back from this person. And then I looked on social media, and they revealed that they had fled to Mexico <laughs> and were watching the game on their laptop. So. Oh, people do, like, you know, we've heard stories from folks. You go to all sorts of countries, and you find ways to watch the game, right? So it's what you, it's what you do when you love them. I was at home. I was, like, about 20 feet over at the neighbors. <laughs> 
It is McGarry McNabb. Mackling's taking the rest of the morning off as he gets ready to head back home from Hamilton after the Grey Cup. And, Loren, we were just talking about uh, bombers in Montreal. And you say you have a correction. (laughs) Well, I had said, you know, I was nervous to play Montreal just because of what happened last time. And then as I said that, I was like, is that even right? Like, what's coming out of my mouth right now? And so... I wanted to correct myself because what I'm remembering from 22 years ago, I think it was 2000 or 2001, is when we played Calgary in Montreal. Oh, I even, okay. I can't find. I'm going back to this. I don't know the last time. Did we ever play at the Alouettes? No, a, and actually, this one, now that you mention it, this was the first time Winnipeg <laughs> yeah, and Montreal yeah, have ever met I, in the Grey Cup. As soon as it came out of my mouth, I'm like, no, that's not right. You're mad about the time we played in Montreal. Montreal gives you bad memories because we lost in Montreal, there was a blocked punt. There were missed field goals galore. I think I punched the back of my couch. So that's what I'm remembering. Well, and to be fair, when when Anthony Calvillo was with Montreal, like they 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 were a, a constant nightmare for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So yeah. like they had our number uh, in a huge way. So yeah, and I, I, even as you said it, like it didn't even occur to me. Wait a second, they never played in the Grey Cup. I just learned that the other day. I'm like, what? How is that? statistically yes. possible in over a century of games right no and then i started looking back i'm like you're an idiot you're not they're not even a, they've never played together so <laughs> anyway if greg had been there here he would have instantly fixed that mistake for me and i wanted to be accountable accountable we were talking about that there you go too. Yeah. players being accountable for the game so in the meantime we have tickets to give away for Frozen in concert, Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra. They do Night at the Movies, where they play a movie, but they play the music live. And it's an amazing experience. And Frozen, of course, is a beloved classic for many. I'm sure a lot of parents, though, maybe don't ever want to hear the song Let It Go again. But maybe you do want to hear it again this weekend. And it's going to be a great show. We're asking you, because like, we're gonna, some of us are going to probably need to pick me up today. And we're asking you about a tried and true pick me up. And we're just going with a simple one here, Loren, for the win from Todd. Because I think we all have that show we turn to. Todd says, I was feeling extremely down after the game yesterday. I needed a pick-me-up, so I immediately put on a few episodes of Ted Lasso. That show always has me smiling and laughing. And yes, Todd, good one. That is certainly a go-to. And there's if you don't have a natural pick-me-up show... I don't even think that exists for a person. I think everybody either has a song or a show that they turn to in those down moments, for sure. And we had one of our other listeners uh, mention that they actually, after the game, they were uh, kind of sad, so they went back and rewatched the the Green Day halftime show because they they quite enjoyed the halftime show. And I would add too, I thought it was a pretty good show. I know it's not a Canadian band, but it's a big band, and I like that they actually played full songs and didn't try to do like some sort of ridiculous 25 song mashup that I hate those little, you know, when we see that kind of thing in, in halftime shows uh, where they try to jam in as much as you can. Like, let me just, just pick some songs and let us enjoy the whole thing. I get lots of people have a huge catalog, right? And so they feel like they want to show their catalog, but you've got six minutes or something. I think it was JLo and Shakira who were end up on the same stage. And I think we heard like 17,000 songs in six <laughs> minutes. It was just an insane amount of music. It was fun, but you didn't get into the whole thing. Right now, I want to talk about U.S. President Joe Biden. Celebrating his 81st birthday today, which makes him the oldest sitting U.S. president. Yeah, you have to go back to Ronald Reagan, who at that time when he was in office was 77, and he was at that time the oldest. And now, of course, it's Joe Biden, uh, I guess, 
hitting that milestone. And in analysis and news articles right around the world, a lot is being made about the fact that Biden is now the oldest sitting president at 81. Here's an excerpt from an article in, in CNN. Quote, even as the first family keeps the celebrations muted and out of sight, the moment nevertheless highlights his greatest campaign liability, his advanced age and, along with it, perceptions among voters that his physical and mental fitness have declined. Laura Tamblin Watts is the CEO of CanAge, an advocacy group for seniors in Canada, and joins us now for more on a conversation about aging in the workplace. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. In that same article, you know, they talked about the fact that uh, his team is aware that age is part of the conversation, that, you know, that they gave him new shoes this year to help with optics. They, he's got a new set of stairs when he boards Air Force One. Given the sheer amount of decisions, the importance of that job, is any of the criticism age-related fair in your mind? Well, there's a difference between age and ability, and I think that we need to really focus in on that. So if a person is unable to do their job, whether they're a firefighter and they can't make it up the stairs anymore, or they're a person with dementia and they're a surgeon, obviously there's a significant challenge and you shouldn't be doing that. But if a person is a certain age and they're sharp and they are fit and they're expert, then age should not be a barrier. How often do you hear from seniors, like just ordinary seniors, who face age-related questions in their workplace? It is one of the most focused things that we talk about. Just to give you a sense, you know, StatsCan did a survey a couple of years ago to see how ageist Canadians are. And in fact, it is the single most prevalent form of discrimination. 56% of Canadians are profoundly ageist. And that, of course, gets more complicated if you have other kinds of intersections. If you're a person of color or a woman, somebody who comes from a different gender identity, it becomes harder and harder. But the reality is we need people to stay in the workforce. In fact, we are in the biggest labor crunch we've ever had in this country. In fact, we need people to work on average 7.2 years longer than they do just to keep our economy going. 17 years to heck with you, Laura. I'm not even going to listen to that. But I I know what you're trying to say, that we need the people. So what kind of mistakes are we making, whether it's, you know, like that conscious or unconscious bias mm-hmm. you might have, the microaggressions, like talk about what you like, the, some of the specifics you get from seniors or, or people who are approaching you know, a certain age and suddenly find that their workspace is saying or doing certain things that is bugging them. We are seeing that people are not being given opportunities for training or advancement, often after the age of 50 and really 55, absolutely. So, you know, that particular type of uh, training program, not offered to you. Sometimes algorithms don't even reach you in terms of opportunities. A couple of years ago, the federal government got in real trouble because they were advertising using Facebook, and they had an algorithm that did not even show the job listing to people over the age of 45. We see that there's all kinds of you know, misunderstanding about older people who can't use technology. It's just nonsense. But it does mean that as some people are digital natives and some people are needing to learn that we need to do a little bit better in terms of user experience or perhaps training. But overwhelmingly, people, particularly over the age of 50 to 55, are saying that the workplace is often hostile to older workers and getting rehired 
means that you need to hide what age you went to school or your past training to avoid being weeded out in discriminatory practices, even just for review. Our guest is Laura Tamlin-Watts, the CEO of CanAge, an advocacy group for seniors in Canada. And if you say that, you know, just to to fill in the economy, we're going to need people to, people are going to be working at 17 years longer. Should companies maybe start thinking about like ways, like let's say somebody maybe can't necessarily do all of the things they used to do, but they can still do some things and do them quite well. Uh, Is there a way that, that companies can maybe reconfigure the way that they do things to, to put, you know, a person who's a little bit older in one job and a person who's a bit, little bit younger in another job? Yeah, it goes down to, you know, capability. And boy, we saw that. It's not as bad as 17. It's 7.2, just over seven years longer. That's still long enough for, I think, a lot of people. But we really need to be rethinking our work and our workforce based on, you know, suitability and ability. So, you know, would you tell a doctor who's an excellent GP at 75 they can't work with our doctor shortage? I don't think so. What we need to do is think about how people's individual contributions in the workforce can be best used. And so many of the things people were saying, oh, we can't possibly do this or do that. We've shown during the pandemic, of course we can. Remote work, no problem. Trying to make sure we're doing job sharing, absolutely. And what we know from working with our colleagues at the AARP and the World Economic Forum and the OECD, CanAge has shown that where there are multi-generational teams in the workforce, not only is the workforce far more stable, younger people leave less often, and the workforce itself remains more stable, but the work product is better and you make more money. So any idea that having a multi-generational workforce is somehow bad has been completely, completely disproven. I mean, we learn so much from one another, right? Like in the sense of what I can learn from my 25-year-old colleague versus my 55-year-old colleague. And yet I know, and I've probably been someone who's done this too, you attach stereotypes sometimes. And so in this day and age, when we're trying to be better people, it bugs me to think about the fact that we're talking about someone's wrinkles or well, their gray hair and all these kinds of things uh, and maybe it's because I have all those things now. I don't know. But we're we're supposed to be better. And yet it feels like, are, are, are we made any grounds on this, you know, in the last few years where you say, okay, well, that's improved at the very least. I think we're talking about ageism more and more. And certainly, you know, we're, we're talking about it within the conversations of diversity, equity, inclusion. You know, companies are looking to see, is age part of that DEI strategy we have? And if it is part of it, do I really mean all ages or did I just put it there for younger people? But because the workforce is so desperate to keep people in jobs and to bring people of all ages into it just to take the vacant roles, I think we're thinking about DEI in that different and more intersectional way because you don't really have to be 81 like Biden. You can get discriminated, you know, after 40. Just go to your birthday card section and start having a look at when the horrible jokes start and then think about that in terms of this is your career are those ageist mentalities being brought to me when I'm thinking that I'm in my prime and looking for advancement or I have you know 30 years of expertise that I'm willing to mentor so it's really uh, one of these um, you know idiotic things that we still have in our 
in our workplace, but we really need to work on that diversity, equity, inclusion conversation to put it away for everyone's benefit. And on the subject of President uh, Joe Biden, I remember several months back we had a comedian in studio. And, and just by virtue of Joe Biden being the president of the United States, of course, he's always going to be the subject of some kind of a joke. But the joke typically when you hear a joke about Biden is I think the comedian, his impression was, what day is it? Where am I? And like how we've just seen so many jokes at Biden's expense on that. And uh, it feels like that's more acceptable than than, you know, you wouldn't mock someone's race. But uh, the fact that he's a bit older, that's okay. It's exactly that. I mean, if you thought about making fun of Obama for the color of his skin or Hillary for her gender, certainly we saw how poisonous those types of things were. But they were immediately called out as being you know, inherently forms of overt discrimination. But when we're talking about age, somehow we are able to make ourselves comfortable with these horrible stereotypes. And they're not stereotypes of wisdom or elegance. They're not stereotypes of knowledge and leadership. They are stereotypes of dementia, loss of capacity, being, you know, out of touch. And I think we really need to feel very uncomfortable with that. Laura Tamlin-Watts, the CEO of CanAge, an advocacy group for seniors in Canada. Thank you very much for the time. We appreciate this. Thank you. And you can feel free to weigh in at 204-780-6868. And, in, you know, this, and thank you, Loren, for bringing this to the fore because it's a great reminder, you know, the, the, when she, as she just said, wisdom. There's a lot that we can learn from those who have been in the workforce a bit longer than us. And, and both ways, you know, like I also recall being a young woman in this workspace and feeling like that that kind of ageism on a, oh you wouldn't know or you're young you wouldn't know anything kind of and you had that feeling mm-hmm. and now that I'm aging into the other demographic I have to remind myself of, of what I thought I brought to the t- table at the young age and what I also think I bring this bring to the table now at my um I'm gonna call it the schmedium age <laughs> Well, I'm right there with you in the schmedium age bracket. So, And I can't tell you how many times I have to turn to some of our young colleagues and say, hey, how do you do this on social media? Because sure. I don't know. And I, partly because I'm just too lazy to like look it up. Oh, but, yeah. Mine's, mine's a pure, I don't. I cannot learn anymore. Like that schedule app we have? Yeah. Never opened it. Never gonna. <laughs> do I work tomorrow? I don't know. Someone else that needs to. Do I you? need to I tell you. I, you told me last week I was off. Yeah, you're like, you know, you see, because you, you had to, I think you had to miss Thursday, but then you, you were coming in on the Friday, and I said, you're on vacation like, on Friday. And you're like, well, that's what the schedule says. Well, good to know. I'm guessing I'm taking it. 